Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. So just to introduce everyone here, Pastor Mike is our growth pastor. Uh, we say growth pastor because he's in charge of you know, our discipleship, of uh, life groups, you know, anything that has to do with trying to grow us up in the faith. Pastor Hunter is our youth pastor. He deals with all of your teens and junior high through senior high and, and trying to prepare them in their faith and, and give them a solid foundation before they launch out and, and head off to college. And then, of course, Pastor Ryan's our missions and outreach pastor. And so anything that has to do with outreach or mission-minded around the globe, whether it's, it's here locally or around the world, uh, he handles all that. And then, of course, uh, my name's Don. I, I have the honor of being the lead pastor here and serving you guys. And so uh, all four of us, we just, we just love what we're doing we enjoy uh, serving this body. We love you guys to death and, and what we're seeing in this body. And so this is just an extension of that, just trying to help grow us up in Christ. And so we're excited about this. What we're doing, this is the second week in a series entitled Why. And uh, we asked you for the entire month of January to send in questions, just like I said, questions that you have about Christianity or the Bible or faith or whatever it might be. And what we did is we took all of your questions and there were a plethora, can I say plethora? Plethora of questions that came in. And uh, so what we try to do is consolidate them into categories and try to answer uh, all those questions the best that we can. And uh, so what we've done is we've broken them into some different categories. We're going to cover a few of them today. Uh, As I said last week, this series might feel like we're shifting gears a little hard because we're going from one topic to the next. We're trying to do the best that we can and not making it so so, uh, like a jerky, but we want it to be kind of a smooth transition from one to the other, but that's hard to do when you're covering so many different topics. Uh, The main goal in all of this is that we would um, draw closer to Jesus, that we would get a better understanding of who he is, uh, his scriptures. We become more familiar with the scripture and what it says. Uh, Everything that you're going to hear today is based upon scripture. We're trying to stick exactly with what we see in scripture. So even if you hear an I don't know it means that we can't find a definitive answer in Scripture, like God didn't give that to us, but we're going to give you what He has given us. And so we're trying to do the best that we can to stay firmly uh, on what Scripture says. And so uh, today, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mike, because we're, we're running through these questions, and he's going to kind of MC the thing and, and try to cover some, some pretty extreme big topics today, actually. So, And, and as we do, do this, hopefully, hopefully it makes you understand some things, but it may raise some more questions, of course. And that's the other piece about this is uh, we know that we're like skipping stones across the, a lake. It's pretty shallow, some of the things we're covering. These are deep topics. Um, if you need to know more, please let us know. We would love to talk with you uh, after service, uh, during the week, whatever. And so uh, we, we've enjoyed it. I don't know about you guys, but like even after this last service, I had two really great conversations in between. Um, the people were asking some deep questions they wanted answers to, and, and we're kind of working through that. All right. The first topic we're just going to dive into a little bit is prayer and hearing God. And the first question was, what are ways to listen and hear God? What, uh, what, if, he, what if I don't audibly hear Him? 
Hunter, you want to start this one? Yeah, so I had fun kind of thinking of some different answers for this one. Um, and kind of last service, I, I talked about the ways that we can hear God first. Uh, and I just want to talk just briefly about what if we don't audibly hear him? Um, in, uh, let's see, John chapter 20, verse 29, uh, Jesus told them, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Uh, and obviously, a lot of us, or I would be willing to bet most of us, have not seen Jesus. But I would also be willing to bet that most of us haven't heard an audible voice of Jesus either. Um, and I think that it kind of extends to us as well. Even if we haven't heard Jesus audibly speak to us, we're blessed because we still believe in him. And the reason we believe is because there is a plethora or an overwhelming amount of information and evidence for God, for Jesus, for the way that we live, for this lifestyle that is uh, a relationship with Jesus. So I think that not hearing him is not that big of a surprise, especially for us here in America. Um, and we need to understand that God talks to us through so many ways, not just audibly. And so if you haven't heard the audible voice of God, you're not left out. Don't feel like you're missing out on something. There are so many things that we can do to hear God. And that's what I want to go over with you guys uh, as quick as I can, um, but also as thoroughly as I can. And so I'm not going to list all the scripture that I have behind each one of these uh, spiritual disciplines um, but I do have them. If you're interested in, in knowing more about them, you can come talk to me after service. But uh, a great way for you to grow in your relationship or uh, to continue this process of sanctification, which is just a Christianese word for growing closer and more like God, is through spiritual disciplines. And uh, I've got, there's not like an official list anywhere in Scripture, but there's lots of things that we're told that we should do in Scripture. Uh, and if we do these things, if we carve out time to do these things, then you will see a difference in your life uh, and how you act, how you think, but also in the closeness of how you uh, interact with God. So just diving right in, I've kind, of, I've kind of ordered my top six here, and then I threw a bunch in kind of at the end. So if one of these speaks to you, then that might be one that you need to find out more about in Scripture. So uh, the first one is meditating on God's Word. Uh, and this is a critical one. This is one everyone has to do. This is filling your mind with Scripture and contemplating it, right? It's, it's writing a Scripture down and thinking about all the different ways that that could mean something to you or all the different ways that that could be taken. It's what the author intentionally meant as he or she wrote that verse, right? Um, the next one is giving thanks. If we were to just sit down every morning and list out the things that we could be thankful for, it would blow our mind. Whether it's the fact that we have a roof over our head, clothes on our back, the fact that we can actually walk. Most of us have cars. A lot of us have good health. Even those of us who don't have good health, we still have life. We still have breath. We, there's so much in this life that we have to be thankful for. So the art of, of giving thanks, I think, is incredible and, and is a way to remind us that God is blessing us Obviously, with that is prayer. We have to be in connection with God. We have to be praying and opening that communication line if we're to hear God at all. Uh, giving, and I'm not just talking about giving to the church. This is giving 
in your everyday life, whether that's through uh, service to somebody, whether that's helping somebody out, whether that's seeing somebody in need, the act of giving really starts to change our perspective of the world around us and what God has given us. And I feel like if we give thanks, the giving comes much easier, right? We start to give thanks for all that we have, and it lets us real, or helps us realize that we have much that we can let go of and it not really affect our life. Uh, another good one is fasting. Um, and the traditional fasting is from food, um, and, and that's a great thing to do. Uh, but you can fast from almost anything in your life, be it uh, video games, be it reading some book, be it watching Netflix. But the point is not to just not do something. The point is to fill that time that you would be at work or eating or watching Netflix with connecting with Jesus by praying and being in a relationship with him. Um, some other ones would include uh, worship, like what we just did, genuinely worshiping God, confession, which is not really practiced uh, in non-denominational churches. Um, but, and I'm not even talking like sitting in a booth uh, or a stall and confessing to the person next to you things. Uh, that could be interesting, but uh, really this is confessing the things that you covet, the things that, that are wrong in your life to Jesus. You know, along with giving thanks, understanding that we're broken is a perfect way to help us grow closer to him and rely more on him. Uh, fellowship is a perfect example. Rest, believe it or not, taking some time to rest and relax while talking to God is actually a really great spiritual discipline. Uh, and probably a really great one, and I'll let Mike harp on this if he wants, but disciple-making itself. Uh, when you start pouring into other people, it challenges you and your belief it causes you to grow, and it causes you to become closer with Jesus. Sometimes the word discipline um, has a negative connotation for us, but I think it, I used to always think of discipline in terms of like athletics as just focused effort to achieve focused results. And so when he talks about spiritual disciplines, it's focused effort and time to have the re result of better relationship with Christ. Just a quick addition. So if, if anything, as Hunter's saying, is, is said too quickly or um, as Mike even alluded to earlier, if there's some confusion, please do come to us. Uh, I'm sure that Hunter would be happy to share that list that he just shared. And I had a request last week about maybe even putting it on the screen, maybe some scripture references. The stuff that we will be referring to out of scripture and such, we'll have that available if you guys would like to use it. And on top of that, forgive us if sometimes we use um, Christianese which is big words that pertain to just how, how Christ is growing us. So if, if there are even words that we're using, please feel free to ask us um, what exactly that word might mean. And, and we'll try our best not to use those um, per se, but sometimes that's the word that needs to be used to fit the, the conversation. There was a question that came in too that says, uh, can sin hinder us hearing God's voice? Part of that is understanding what sin is. Um, and just the, the, the fundamental definition of sin is separation from God. It's something that we do that pulls us from God because ultimately all sin would fall under the category of something that, that is self-gratifying to some degree. And so if that's the case, then it's not going to draw us close to God. So just on the basic level of what sin means, if we're sinning, then it is going to be hard for us to hear God. Um, James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. So confessing your sins would draw you close to God. 
per James 5.16, but sinning is, is, is going to prevent you from hearing God better. Can you explain why we are supposed to pray to God the Father in Jesus the Son's name? I, I love this question because it's, it's something that, um, you know, I was talking to some people after last week, and it's interesting to me how many uh, told me, hey, I was raised in the church, you know, I was raised in faith, and I would have never thought to ask some of those questions. Like, we were blown away by some of the questions. And then we've had uh, a lot of people in here who don't have any church background, like you weren't raised in church. And uh, this, this is like, um, you know, like, why do you take those things for granted? You know, that, that should be a question. And so we're coming at it from two different angles, and I just love that. And this is one of them. You know, I know so many people that are like, they would have never thought to ask the question, you know, we're told to pray in Jesus' name. Well, why? And then, of course, talking to somebody who's just new to the faith, and they're like, why in the world do I have to pray that way? And so first, I would just say, uh, it, it's interesting because it's not, a, it's, it's not required. Like, it's not something that we're told to do. It's not like a password or a code that if you're asking for something, make sure you say in Jesus' name or else you won't get it. And, and so it's, it's not about a, a code or a password. Uh, John 14 says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so therefore, we think that because it says that, that, oh, that means praying in Jesus' name means that whatever uh, blessing that I'm asking for, that I'm going to get it because I said Jesus uh, but we forget that the first part of that verse says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my, fa- my father may be glorified, and so, or my, the, the father may be glorified through the son. And so it's the idea, it's, it's about glorifying the name of God. Uh, one of the illustrations I heard years ago was a, a father who, for his son's 12th year birthday, took them to a carnival, and he said, you can invite all the friends that you want. Was friend, and, you know, he invited like 15 friends. His son invited like 15 friends. They all go to the carnival. Dad buys a whole bunch of tickets, and he's just standing at the gate of every ride, and his son would get in line with all of his friends, and he would just hand them all tickets. Pretty soon, he realized at the next ride, he's like got 20 kids. And he's like, wait a minute, he didn't invite this many, right? They're just getting in line. So finally, one kid comes up, and he, he doesn't recognize the kid. He's like, hey, why, why are you in this line? He said, well, your son Joel told me that if I stood in this line, you would give me a ticket. Okay, cool, right? And, and so I think, it's, I think it's that way when we pray. It's, it's not... Uh, about us coming and, and, you know, showing up and asking for things on our own merit. It's us coming before God on the merit of Christ, on what he did on the cross. And so when we pray, it's a reminder that the reason we get to talk to God, the reason our relationship with God is right is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's like saying, Father, I'm coming to you because your son said I could, Right? Like, I, I have no merit, I have no reason on my own to be able to come to you, but because of what your son did on the cross, um, I now can have a relationship with you, that I'm filled with your Holy Spirit. And, and I think the key verse is actually 1 John five fourteen. It says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So it's, it's that phrase, according to his will. Uh, Oswald Chambers said the purpose of prayer is, is that we get a hold of God, not a hold of the answer. So it's the idea of drawing closer to God. So I would say the whole point of praying in Jesus' name is that we are submitting ourselves and our requests to him and to his will. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ because of that. How can we hear God's voice and how can we discern that it is actually from God? How can I be sure it's not from Satan? That's... Uh, a great question. I think how we can uh, hear God 
uh, is by growing closer to him, right? That process that I already talked about of, of sanctification. And so if that's something that, that you want to know more about, definitely find somebody who can disciple you, uh, who can help you grow in the word and start practicing some of those spiritual disciplines. Um, but as far as like discerning whether or not the spirit is actually from God or not, First uh, John chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits and see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Um, and so the first thing I would say is if you're, if you're going back and forth on whether or not something is from God, the first thing you have to do is, is get to know Jesus, right? We have, to, we have to understand and have a basic understanding of who Jesus is and what he stood for. Um, and that, that is knowing him in Scripture, right? Meditating on his word and getting to know who he is. Um, and, and kind of the shortcut to figuring out whether or not something is of God or not is uh, there's two little steps or two little questions you can ask yourself. And the first one is, will this cause me to sin? Because God will never, ever ask you to do something that will cause you to sin. God will never lead you down a path that will lead to sin. Uh, the second thing is, uh, is what you're being asked to do going to bring glory and honor to God, right? Uh, if what you're going to do or what you feel like is being asked of you is going to lead to more people coming to know Christ or is going to lead to more people recognizing God as, you know, God, then I think that is a good thing, right? That is something that we can uh, get behind. And please note that, that this isn't always going to be an easy thing. Uh, just because we're, we're dealing with God does not mean that he's going to ask us to do easy things, right? God may ask us to do things that are hard for us to do. If God is calling you to something, it's going to be to help you grow, to help other people come to know him, and to bring him glory and honor. All right, how, how do I know God's calling for me right after that? Um, it's not like he, he just says my name and says, hey, you, go do this. So um, the word calling, sometimes we, we take that word and, and run a lot of different directions with it, and it probably means something different than we, we initially think. Um, I tend to think of calling on your life uh, in four ways. Um, the first one is God calls all of us to relationship with him through Jesus. Um, everyone is called to, to that in their life. And hopefully we all respond and we're saved and redeemed through Christ. Um, the second one is just then those who believe in Jesus, we're all called to do a few things. And it comes down to six words. You guys know the six words yet? We tend to hit this sometimes. Six words are love God, love others, make disciples. So we all have that calling on us as well as believers. Those are the things we're supposed to be about. Um, as Hunter kind of said, you know, if we know if we're doing what we're supposed to because it glorifies God, loves others, makes them come know him. Um, the third calling is kind of been to our vocation. So while we're all about that purpose of loving God, loving others, making disciples, um, what we do to pay our bills so we have food to eat and all of that, that also can be a calling for us. Um, it gives us a platform no matter what you do to be able to still do those six words. That's the way we need to look at it. That's how 
how Paul, he was actually a tent maker. I don't think we have any of his tents anywhere. I don't know if he was a good one or not, but he used it in order to feed himself so he could do ministry, and he wrote, uh, you know, half the New Testament because of it. And then the other call is short-term call. Sometimes somebody will say to me, uh, Mike, I think I've been called to go on a, on a short-term mission trip. Maybe I'm also being called to be a, uh, to be a missionary long-term. God does give us small situations that he calls us to step into. It may or may not mean that's what we are supposed to do for the rest of our lives. Um, it may just be, again, a step that we're supposed to do. Keep in mind, too, that God knows us intimately, right? He's made each and every one of us, and he has a purpose for our life. And the way that I generally tell the teenagers this, uh, there's not a carpenter out there who's going to make a doorstop and then try to use it as a plunger, right? That doesn't work. It's not what that object was made for. And so you have to understand that if you are being called to do something, it's because God made you to do it. And chances are you're going to have a passion for it. And, and it, may, it may be one of those situations where you have to grow into that, to where you have to recognize it or you have to go back a ways and remember that you had a passion for it. But God's not going to ask you to do something that's outside of what you're capable of doing. Or that he's not growing yeah. you to do, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and with that, too, um, I, sometimes I talk with people and they get really locked up as terms of, well, I got to do what God's purpose is for my life, and I got to be like you only have one choice, right, or only one chance, and that's, that's not true. Think of it as there, you go through stages and phases, and God's going to move you along through those. So get started. Be about the six words, loving God, loving others, make disciples, and then see where it takes you. And your calling, at least on the vocational side, may change. Um, looking back in my life, there's no doubt that I originally was called to be an engineer. And because of that calling, God grew me in some ways that later I accepted a call to become a pastor too. And he may change my calling again at some point, but hopefully it's continually to pursue him. And with those short-term callings too, sometimes we are called to do things that, that like Hunter said, aren't comfortable. They're not something we want to do. Um, in the New Testament, there's a story of a guy named Saul who was an absolute jerk. He went around and he hated Christians. He was rounding them up. He was throwing them in jail sometimes having them stoned to death. Um, he was taking some papers to another town to arrest all of the Christians and bring them back. And he had this, this encounter along the way. Well, when he did reach the town, there was another guy that was in town who was a Christian. And God spoke to him and said, you know, this guy's name was Ananias. Ananias, you need to go to Saul and you need to tell him what kind of help him understand what he saw on the road. And, of course, uh, Ananias is saying, God, I don't want to do that. Um, I don't know this guy, but what I know about him, he's going to throw me in jail. I'm going to lose my life. But Ananias accepted that short-term call. I don't know whether he was a missionary the rest of his life or not, but in that moment, he accepted it. He went and talked to Saul, and the outcome was Saul became Paul. Saul realized that it was Jesus he had that, that moment with, and he started the new thing. And so maybe that's the the type of calling, the little things that we get to do along the way. And even just to add a little bit to Mike's is that um, with calling, and I know Hunter's probably heard it, but oftentimes people will come up and say, I don't know if God's calling me to marry this person. And so 
what I would what I would encourage you with is that when 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 talking about God's calling, Mike said, "Love God, love others, make disciples, be obedient in the small things." God's calling us to being obedient, and that's in the small things. So, if if I'm living a life that is not honoring to God, and I'm wondering if He's calling me to marry a certain person. Am I being obedient in those small things first? To where God, as we're obedient in those small things, helps us see even the calling for some of those larger things. Um, we had a, a question come, come in. It kind of had a particular situation of praying for something for 20 years. Um, it, what has they been praying for hasn't happened yet. Um, and I guess the question is, is there a right or wrong way to pray in order to get answers? There's there's so many ways that this could this could go. Um, um, God God knows you, and if you're genuine in your heart, uh, then there's a reason why He hasn't given you an answer, right? If He if He knows that you're genuinely praying and that you're earnest in your attempt, then then what I would say is there's a reason why you haven't gotten that answer, and whether or not it's faith or whether or not it's to help you grow or or just to have you continue to trust in Him. Uh, there's probably a reason. And keeping in mind, too, where what is the motivation, the desire for that answer? Um, are you, are you, is it, just to be as gentle as possible, is, are you wanting that answer for you to feel good? Um, or is there, is there, is there, as Don talked about earlier, is God going to be glorified in that situation? And, and I think many situations will be, that will be the case. If we're praying for people to come to know Christ, God will be glorified in that, and, and we desire that. But that sometimes, again, keeping in mind, God does not operate in the construct of time. And, and it's really difficult for us because that's, we are bound by time, but that God, God works in his own time, and that uh, we, we need to be patient. And maybe that's part of God's answer to you. And, and just to make sure, kind of the wording of the question made me think, you know, are, are, the, are you looking for the the right combination of words, the right situation in order to get the answer? And I think the answer, you know, on that is no. You, God doesn't, we're not doing a book of incantations to get God to do what we want him to do or to answer. Um, we are praying our heart, and that's enough. You don't have to say things in a particular order. You don't have to cover certain things. Um, you know, if you forget a certain phrasing of something, he's not going to answer it. It's not that at all. He knows your heart. And again, the purpose of prayer is not not necessarily to get answers. The purpose of prayer is to align us of where God is going and to his will. And so sometimes the answer, we don't get the answer we think we want um, because we're not grown to the point to be able to accept the answer he's giving us. And so maybe that's part of it too. And just one other thing, I had a conversation with somebody in between services on this as well. Um, we have to make sure we're not praying for God to change somebody else. Someone else has their own choice, their own free will to be able to accept God or not. Um, what we're doing maybe instead is the better thing is to pray that God will put other people in that person's life so they'll have more opportunity to hear about him and choose, not just to change that person. I would also say don't give up. And I don't think there's anything in Scripture that says, you know, if you've prayed for 20 years that you got your answer. You know, 20 years in one day, you've 
past the, the line for him to answer it now, you know. Uh, I, I would, there's nothing in the scripture there that says that he's going to answer it in the time that we allot. And so keep praying. I mean, whatever that is, it might be for uh, a wayward child. It might be for, I don't know, father to come to Christ, right? I mean, we've seen some amazing things after decades of prayer where the prayers finally answered. God had a plan in all of it. And so I would, I would say don't give up. I'm going to move us to a, a different topic. Um, we're going to talk about the transition to eternity. Death. Death. Nice, Yay. light, easy topic. Um, so the first question is, where do you go after we die? So uh, to help untangle this one, I, I think I, I need to start with things that we know for sure. Um, unless Christ comes back, we are all going to die. I know that's exactly the type of thing you want to come to church and be encouraged with. Um, but the truth is, we all are going to have to face that. And as we cross that threshold, I mean, again, it's something we have to do. And we know that. We don't have to be fearful of death, however. And that's where our faith comes to play. When we know that, that we believe in Christ, Christ conquered death. He did that on the cross, and, and Scripture repeatedly say He's going to completely conquer death for those who believe in Him. So if we, if we have that faith, we don't have to be fearful. That's the one thing we know for sure. The other thing we know is at the end of this age, before eternity starts, um, every single one of us will have to go through what's called the white throne uh, judgment. And Revelation 20 talks about it, and it just says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Uh, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Um, all of us have to go through that judgment. And through that judgment is where Christ will separate those who are going to heaven to forever be with him, and those that are going to eternal judgment or hell to be forever separated from God. Um, that judgment happens altogether all at once. It's not like the cartoons where you see, say, Peter sitting there at the pearly gates and people are trickling through and, and he's having conversations. That is completely made up. In fact, Peter will be going through that judgment with us at the same time. All of us will be. Um, I'll be honest, it's probably not going to be a great day in one sense because Scripture also talks about the fact that we will be accused of all of the sins we did in our lives. They will all come out. Um, so you all will hear all of the sin and selfishness I've done in my life and things I haven't even done yet. You guys are going to hear that. It's not going to be a great thing. Um, however, again, there's hope there because even as Satan is accusing each one of us of that and going through the list, Jesus will be standing there going, my blood covers it all. Everything that Mike did, everything that all of us did is covered by the blood of Christ. And through that, those of us who believe who are in the book of life will get to go to heaven. And so we know that. Those are, those are a couple absolutes we know about eternity. Um, and those who don't choose God and Jesus in this life will go to eternal separation. Um, a little aside here, one of the best ways that I've ever heard this described, you know, a lot of us, we've heard different things about, you know, uh, Satan being there with, you know, horns and a pitchfork and that sort of stuff. And you know, there's, there's T-shirts that say, uh, I don't mind going to hell because all my buddies will be there. 
Um, truth is we'll be completely separated from everything. And the analogy that I have um, that I think is, is scriptural, even though it doesn't come from scripture, is an example of a guy that uh, he's an astronaut, he's up in space, he's in a sh suit that takes care of all of his bodily needs. He doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to drink, it just sustains him completely. His uh, spaceship explodes and he's expelled out of, the, out of the spaceship. He's in orbit now. Everybody on Earth thinks that he died, he's forever gone, life continues on without him. Um, but he keeps orbiting the Earth. And over time, he's just up there. He can't communicate with anybody, he can't talk with anybody, he's just by himself, orbiting endlessly. And over time, his hair starts to grow, of course, and his hair slowly covers, so after a while, he's not able to even see anything. That's hell. Forever by yourself, the only thing you can think about is the fact that you didn't make the choice you needed to to accept Jesus, and then going back through all of the things that you made a wrong choice on. It's not this, again, Hollywood version of it. It's, it's pretty horrific when you think about it that way, and we don't want anybody to go there. All right, we're on nice light stuff here, aren't we? So what happens in between that judgment and the moment that we die? Um, Scripture's not completely clear on this. We don't have like a really solid couple of things, and there's a lot of different thoughts about it. It's called the, in theology, it's the intermediate state is what it's termed. Um, and there's a couple different thought processes there. Maybe we just fall asleep, and, and we don't know what's going on. Um, there's some different thoughts about, well, is there a place that you go to, kind of a waiting room where you kind of work out um, your faith? Um, to be honest, again, like the, the waiting room, I really don't see enough Scripture to support that, and I don't think so. If we're saved by works, then that would be true, that there's some place that we can work out our faith after we die. But we're saved by faith. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that. We're saved by our faith. And so it doesn't make sense that there's like a purgatory in between because, again, that would be us working out our faith instead of we have to make the decision before we die and then we're judged. Um, the only way that I can really see Scripture making sense of all of this is just simply thinking about the fact that the moment that we die, then we'll be at the judgment as far as we're conscious, whether we're asleep in between or something else, I don't know, but that's the only thing that makes sense. And because of that, there's some Hollywood theology we need to cover real quick that I think is also a problem. Um, I call it Hollywood because it comes out of so many movies and everything else. Again, I'm the, I'm the bearer of great news today. Grandma is not right now in heaven looking down on you, sending you messages, letting you know things, making things happen. Um, Jesus talked about that in, in Luke 16. He's, he had a parable he told about a, a rich man and a poor man that died, and the fact that when they came, one went to, went to heaven, one went to hell, and Jesus told him, you can't go back. Once you're here, you can't go back and talk to everybody else. And those of us who get to go to heaven... The, the other side of it is, is we're going to be with Jesus. Even at that judgment, which isn't going to be great, we're still going to be with Jesus. We really don't care about what's happening here on earth. We love our loved ones, but it's going to be completely different at that point. And so, I'm sorry to tell you, Grandma's not, not again, looking down on you. Um, Grandma, hopefully, is going to be there right with you, going through that judgment and getting to go to eternity forever with Jesus in heaven. So, can you pray for somebody who's in hell? Yes. And by that, I mean is we can pray for whatever we want, um, but is it, does it line up with what God 
has lined out for us in Scripture, and then I would say no. Um, you know, if the, if the idea is to pray for somebody who's in hell to um, assuage your conscience to help you feel better, that, that, that could possibly work, but it's not going to, as Mike said earlier already, it's not going, they're not going to have the opportunity to work out their salvation in hell. So the the short answer is no, you cannot pray for somebody in hell, and that's because it, you won't find that in Scripture. You won't find even any instruction regarding that. But we do find instruction as to how God asks us to pray. What when when Jesus was asked by the disciples, how do we pray then? And Jesus said, most of you have heard it, I'm sure, but it comes out of Matthew six, where um, Jesus then tells the disciples. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This is, this is in present tense. Jesus is telling them these things as, you know, as they're in present tense. Do this now. And so the question about praying for somebody who's in hell, as difficult as it is, if there's if there's somebody in our life that we, it was never made known to us that they surrendered to Christ and they had faith in Christ and they received his grace, that's, that's a terrible and weighty feeling. However, um, all the more importance to, to share Christ now. Share him today. Like, be bold. Let people know that that, that, is, that is tantamount to anything else here on earth, that Christ is of great importance so that we don't have to be praying about them when maybe they're in hell, but that we we show Christ through our actions and our deeds to where the Holy Spirit will allow them to maybe open their eyes and their hearts to receive him. The other thing I would clarify too, and we say this quite often, is we are not the judge here. And so I know we're going to get questions from this, and some of you are going to come up and you're going to say, hey, this was the life of my Uncle Bob or whatever, and, and do you see any chance of him getting into heaven? We're not the judge. We can't answer that question. Only God, and I thank God for that every day because I don't want to be the judge. And uh, what Ryan said is so key. The moments that count are right now. Um, you know, Second Corinthians 6, 2, it says, For God says, At just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We don't want to wait until it's too late. And that's not just for us, but that's everybody that we come into contact with. That's why loving God, loving others, making disciples is so critical. We're here. God has, has put us on the, on the earth. And I don't know why he did it this way, because I would have... Uh, I'm going to ask questions about this when I get up there, because I think I, he could have come up with a better plan, right? He takes the greatest news ever, the gospel, and he sticks it in a bunch of messed up, broken, marred pots, you and me, and sends us out. And I don't know why he did it that way, but that's what he did. And so we, we need to make every day count, not just for us, but the people around us as well. And we, get, we do get hung up on what's coming later, what's coming later, what's coming later. And uh, if that takes us away from what we're supposed to be doing now, we, we need to be careful of that. We had a question come in that what about the heaven is for real type situations, the people going to the white light and then coming back? That, you know, that's a great question. We debate that all the time. Um, what, what's your opinion? Because I, I don't see a whole lot in Scripture of us going over and God showing us other than vision, right? but not actually visiting and being sent back. And actually, the parable that Jesus, that, that Mike brought up earlier, the parable 
talks about Lazarus going to heaven and, and the rich man going to hell. And the rich man in hell knows what's going on in heaven and he knows what's going on on earth, but Lazarus doesn't care. Like Lazarus isn't even part of the story once he gets in heaven. He's in heaven with Jesus or he's, with, you know, he's in heaven with God. And, and, and so it's, it's a very, it's, tell you what, it, you'll struggle. You'll struggle with that whole story. You know, I, th I think we want some easy answers sometimes, something like the white light and you come back. Um, we know in Scripture that God gave some of his prophets visions of what heaven would be like. That's why we have anything written down in the Bible at all is that he gave them a vision, maybe a little insight into it a little bit, so maybe that's what it's about. But actually the things of people saying, well, I went to heaven and then I came back, to me, it, it doesn't scripturally make sense um, because heaven that we have right now is where God dwells. And God the Father is holy. He can't be around sin. We are all sinful. And so if we die without that, that redemption, justification, those are all big terms, but without Jesus taking care of our sin like he's going to at that, that final judgment, we can't be in the presence of God. So it doesn't make sense that we as sinful people can go to God for a little bit and then come back. For us, the only heaven that's available is the one on the other side of that, that final judgment. And that judgment is there, again, because God is a God of grace, but he's also a God of justice. And so there is accountability for all of our sins. Um, thank goodness for us who are believers that accountability isn't for eternity. It's for a moment in time. It's for this life. But eternity, we're forgiven of them. And it might be frustrating to some of you, as it is with me, that we don't get all the answers in Scripture. Like, we're not told everything. And I think some of it is because we couldn't handle it anyway. But if, that, if that's you, if you're frustrated by that, let me just challenge you with something. Um, Ryan brought up earlier, you know, the Lord taught us how to pray. Part of that prayer is, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're really curious about heaven, um, try with your actions, words, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. Try to bring some of that here. Uh, heaven is, is this place where we're going to be in, in perfect relationship with God, where his will is done. To a small, small fraction of a percent, we can see flashes of that in this life. That's, I think that's part of that prayer, right? Uh, I got to go and hold my grandbaby for two hours yesterday. That was heaven. Perfect innocence. It was amazing. Um, I, I met with a guy this last week that I've been discipling who I've seen his marriage restored and his relationship with his kids is getting back on track. That's heaven. Fraction of heaven on earth. And so pursue that. Pray for that and start pursuing that in this life. Just a, a couple of the questions that came up in, in this. Somebody just more made a statement, which I think is good, about the heaven and real statement or time and stuff. Is maybe maybe they say they went to heaven because that's the only words they have available to express what they saw. That kind of makes sense. Um, somebody else was just uh, bringing up um, when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't alone. There were two thieves on each side. One mocked him. The, the other one came to faith and said, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus replied back in Luke 24, 23, uh, yes, today you will join me in paradise, which again, using Jesus' words, um, you know, that, that man died that day and then went to heaven um, and was with Jesus. 
now we can split hairs. Was today like today? Right. Or was today like it seemed like today to that guy? Or We're not going to split all that, but um, I think it's good to, to kind of keep that in mind. Going back to Scripture again, this is what we're trying to do is just deliver Scripture. And so what we see as we study through Scripture, and we've had long discussions on this, um, you know, arguing both sides and everything else. You know, we, we die. There is a judgment. You, you, if you um, chose Jesus as your Savior, then you're covered by his sacrifice and you enter into heaven. If not, you go to hell. There's a literal heaven. There is a literal hell. Um, and I say that because uh, almost 70% of seminaries today are teaching that there is not a literal hell. And so we're, we're just going away from Scripture more and more. If you just hold the Scripture, what you find out is that's the way that plays out. Now, the time frame, we're not sure. We see, we see evidence in Scripture for, um, like Mike just said, for right away. We see evidence for Scripture where those asleep in Christ will rise. And so it's this, which is it? I, I don't think it matters to us because, as Mike, Mike said, it's um, you close your eyes, you open your eyes, you're before Jesus. And so, and I know because of a lot of backgrounds and what you've been through, you, you're going you're gonna to have an emotional tie one to the other probably, and, and that's okay. That's okay. Somebody asked, uh, will we have free will in heaven? And someone asked, uh, will we see our... our loved ones in heaven and will there be a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in heaven will it all start over again and i mean we just get into all these different uh discussions it's kind of fun to have those um i i'm just going to jump into it i think we're i think we'll have free will i think we'll have free will uh but i think in this moment we'll we'll choose to love instead of sin to stay with jesus and not walk away from him because of what we'll see and experience this was a question that actually got asked. I'm doing the same kind of thing with the youth group this month. Uh, and my explanation to them was, we, we're going to have memory of, of what earth was like and how much it sucked here. Uh, and so we're not going to want any part of that once we're in heaven. We're going to be so thankful to be with God that, that although we'll have that free will, we're not going to choose to separate ourselves from God again. And we get to heaven, we'll have a perfect mind, perfect body. We'll be, you know shed this thing, which will be great, right? Because I want more hair. Uh, but it's going to be awesome to get there, have a, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, to, to be given a perfect body, perfect mind, to be able to live in perfect relationship with God and the people around us. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. And so that, that's the other thing that we keep forgetting when we talk about free will and things of that nature in heaven. And, and this idea of fearing God when we get there is going to is going to be about the relationship, about being in a relationship with God and understanding who he is and what he's all about, whereas now uh, it requires faith because we don't see him. We don't, we don't acknowledge him a lot of the time on a daily basis. And so therefore, the fear of God goes out the window because we don't have that awe. And I think that's where you know, a lot of what we talked about early on, the meditation and the prayer and the fast and all that is this idea of just drawing closer to God, getting a better understanding of who he is so that we might have that uh, somebody put in here, wouldn't it be better to say God respecting or something? You know, there's a lot of words, however you want to phrase that, but it's the idea that we just have this, this awe of God. We sit in awe of him for who he is and what he's done for us. I just noticed we have uh, quite a few questions all around um, purgatory. Are there different levels of heaven and different, you know, different rooms and stuff? And so would you try to jump into that? Just hit it real quick. I think, I think we need to because we've got a lot of questions on it. Somebody asked if 
you know, based off of Jesus' statement, there are many rooms in God's house. Uh, does that mean there are different levels of heaven? Uh, no, it just means that there's room for everyone in God's house. And just taking it even a step further, that means that, that we're going to have a little bit of uh, onus. Like, we're going to have our own place in heaven and that we're going to be able to do things that worship God, that bring glory and honor to him. Yeah, and, and the same with, um, like, Dante's Inferno, the other side, levels of hell. They're really, Scripture doesn't support that either. Hell is completely separated from God, and so there can't be different levels because then you'd, you'd know where you sit. It's complete separation from everything. Um, and one other thing about the, the heaven, the levels of heaven Scripture does talk about that there are different crowns that are given to believers, um, people who are martyred for the faith. There's a, there's a number of different crowns that are kind of given to us maybe right as we exit the, the great right throne judgment. Um, the thing about those, which is kind of interesting to me, is, is as soon as we get them, we all are going to take them off and give them back to Jesus. So, so there's not, like, special badges that some of us wear or anything. We're all going to be the same. We're all going to be loving God and getting to be with him. Uh, animals, do animals go to heaven? We're, we're told very clearly when God creates the heavens and the earth uh, that animals are created separate from humanity uh, and that we're given, we're made in the image of God, meaning we have a soul. Animals are, are not given that, so, uh, and it's, it's hard to swallow because we really do love some of our animals, but uh, they're not there. But she's in a uh, farm in Upper State New York now, right? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Something about uh, second chances, you know, uh, people die, they don't know Christ, do they get a second chance? And, and Mike kind of addressed that a little bit. I just want to clarify uh, and just echo what he said. The, the short answer to that is no. Like you get one chance. This is it. And this is why this life is so important. We talk about the six things, right? Love God, love others, uh, make disciples. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We know what we're supposed to be doing. And, and there's nothing that comes after this. Like, you're not going to get a second chance. You know, oh, I was just kidding. What do you say now? You know, it's, it's the idea that we have this life to make those decisions. And that's why this is so critical. Uh, it, it says in Hebrews 9.27, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. That's it. And so it's, it's why this matters, what we're doing right here and right now. Yeah, there's there was a book that came out a couple of years ago that that um, had this thought process that yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but there's also other emergency exits to get into heaven. And I got to tell you that that is bunk. Um, from a scriptural standpoint, there's one way, and that is through Jesus, and we have to make that decision here. And I've had arguments with people about that, and they'll say, well. God and His grace wouldn't allow people who didn't know Him to, to, to die and, and, and miss out. Scripture talks about that. Um, even those who don't know about, about God, He still makes Himself known. And they may or may not have somebody right then telling them about Jesus specifically, but God's still going to judge us by what we do know and what we're capable of understanding. And Accepting Jesus is actually a pretty, in some ways, it's a pretty easy way. And if we're not willing to do that, but we're okay trying to find other emergency exits, I, th I think we're misguided. It's all about Jesus. That's the only way to know. Yeah, we need to get to that. There's a lot of questions coming in. We struck a chord, I think, with the whole um, uh, 
chances are one in one that you're going to die type thing. So, uh, it, and rightfully so, I think that's a concern that every one of us have. And so we're going to try to do the best that we can to get back with you with a bunch of, uh, bunch of answers, all right? So just, just know we're not, uh, we're not minimizing those. We'll, we'll come back to you and get some good answers back to you. And animals, I'm sorry, we got a lot of animal lovers in this congregation apparently too. They're not going to heaven. Uh, do they go to the underworld? No, only cats will, okay? Um, and, but after and, their ninth death. Right. Uh, but other than that, no. I will tell you this, though, for those animal lovers, okay, because I know that this is, man, this is a struggle. Um, this is one of the, the pet peeves, do you like that, pet peeves, that I have. Ah, yeah. Um, is that we put more emphasis on animal life than we do human life. Can we stop that, please? Just, okay. And I know you guys love your animals, okay? But here's what I will say. God came for us because we're created in his image. Uh, Imago Dei, we are created in God's image. The animals are not. Now, for those animal lovers in the room, I will tell you, I believe that there's going to be animals like you've never seen in heaven before. How do I say that? Well, because we see these pictures of heaven. Even, Even in Revelation, when Jesus is coming back, He's riding a horse. It's like God says, you know, I love my creation, but they weren't created in my image. And so I, I believe we're going to have animals, okay? Uh, I'll tell you why, because meat is good. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Good grief. Okay, I, I think we're going to have tons of animals in heaven. I think it's going to be amazing, and uh, maybe even animals that uh, you've never seen in your lifetime. And so anyway, all right, let's move on to the last one here. Okay, let's, let's move on. Bacon. Um, unpack the phrase God-fearing. God-loving seems more appropriate. God-fearing makes it seem less about faith and trust and more about fear. God-fearing, um, we, we received a lot of questions regarding that's, that's kind of the God of the Old Testament, and um, we don't necessarily see that in the New Testament. And <clears throat> I know that there, when talking with people, there are often two kind of two schools of thought. There's the, the one thought that we should, that, that this God-fearing means that he's this loose cannon that's about to just blow up and, and destroy the earth. Um, there's the other thought that, uh, that God-fearing is, is that we should just remain in awe. And, and part of that is kind of wrapped around even how we describe awe. What is awe? So, but I think that um, naturally, Scripture kind of kind of helps us out with that, and I think that there's some, we find something in the middle there when we read in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Again, by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. So as I thought through this, I was reminded of going on camping trips with my boys uh, for scouts, and invariably, at, at you go camping with boys, girls, even if you're around a campfire, kids love to play with it. There's just this awe that surrounds the fire, right? But, but fi- the fire itself, as we read in Hebrews, it says that it's an all-consuming thing, but it's not, it's not just an all-consuming thing. Fi- there's, there's more value and more... Uh, more extravagance to fire, right? You, if, if you've ever been to a Christmas Eve Eve service where you have a candlelight service and everybody raises their candle in the air, there's beauty in, in that fire, right? And not even just beauty in the fire, but when, when you go home today, it's snowing outside. There's, there, that, that same fire is providing heat for your home. 
and, and there's fire to provide transportation. So, so this, this fire has, has multiple facets to it. Um, one of those is fear. And so with that, how does that play out then for us as non-believers and believers? Well, for the, for the non-believer, the way that looks is that um, it's understanding that they, should, that they should be fearing God because they could have eternal separation from Him. That's, that's the God-fearing aspect. For us as believers, it's, it's taking it to um, that God's love disciplines us. And, and, and in that discipline, we get correction. And sometimes we get rebuked. But that, that we should be, that there should be some element of fear there. But that that fear is, it's a good fear that God is going to rebuke us and correct us. But that it draws us, ends up drawing us closer to him. Um, and in Job, for those of you who've read through scripture, if you're familiar with Job, he faced a ton of trial. And, and, uh, and then had plenty of opportunity to see some of that fear. But even in, beyond that, um, part of this fear of God, this God-fearing, is it's knowing God, right? So in Job 28, 28, it says, and this is what he says to all humanity, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. And so part of that is being able to come to wisdom in that correction and in that discipline. We, we are growing up in the wisdom of God to where um, it's not because we're scared of God, but we understand his power and his response to sin. The, the, the fear of the Lord is to revere God because of his character and to worship him in awe because of his love that um, that Mike gets to speak to. Yeah, just just one thing too about God. God is a, uh, a God of grace and he's a God of justice at the same time. And um, we do need to be in some ways fearful. Um, he, in fact, Jesus said, uh, don't be fearful of the one that can hurt your body, but fear God who has the power to, to send you into hell. Um, that's where the justice comes in, and all of our sin has consequence. Uh, to begin with, it has an eternal consequence. If we don't know Christ, we, we do get to, unfortunately, go through uh, eternal damnation and, and through hell. Um, if we know Christ, we still deal with the consequence of our sin here. Our sin hurts, begin with our relationship with God. Um, sin, by its very nature, separates us from Him, and it, it's awfully hard for us to authentically go to God in prayer if we know that we've sinned against Him and we haven't asked for forgiveness. We have to restore that relationship. Um, sin also hurts our relationship with people. I mean, obviously, the sins that we do, um, there's just natural consequence that happens. Um, you know, if I, if I choose to cheat on my wife, that hurts my wife, it hurts my family, it hurts our ministry. Um, I, I don't not sin because of fear, I, I hopefully am not sinning because I'm pursuing, again, those six words that we talked about, loving God, loving others, making disciples. That's the motivation. Um, there is this Old Testament, New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, God was very judgmental, particularly on the nation side, but His grace was still available for individuals like Rahab, like Ruth. Um, in the New Testament, it's a lot easier to focus just on the love side of how God looks as us when we accept Christ as as part of a, a peer, as as a co-heir with Christ. Um, but we need to make sure we don't kind of get lost here. Um, I don't think I used this term last week, but the, the term is sloppy agape. You know, agape is this, this big unconditional love that God has for us 
Um, but we need to make sure that we're not sloppy about that, that we don't think, oh, he, he loves us, I can do anything I want. Paul talks about that throughout Romans. Um, just because we're saved doesn't mean we keep sinning. We need to go ahead and change and grow. Um, but that fear of God is a key thing. Um, I came to Christ in the, in the 90s. I don't know how many of you guys did that as well. There was a song back then called Our God is an Awesome God. Anybody else remember that song? It was like nothing but bridge and chorus over and over and over again. Um, but we said that word awesome, which the vernacular of the time was that was cool, it was hip, it was great. Um, I think we need to remember that awesome means beyond us, that there is a sense of awe and fear that we should have when we're faced with God and the Creator. And because of that, through that, we can appreciate His love for us even more. I mean... For God, who made everything, who's far beyond us in time and space and everything, for him to love us enough to send his son Jesus, for us to be fearful, respectfully fearful of him, but know at the same time that he loved us so much and Christ loved us so much that he left the splendor of heaven to become a man, to walk among us so that we can be saved. I think that's the, the key. That's the real love. If we just think it's love because, hey, we're going to hang out and just be together, we've missed the real love of the sacrifice that Christ did for us. That's the real love we need to do. And it does come from a healthy respect and fear of God. The, and just to be explicitly clear here and to sum it up, I mean, the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament are exactly the same. They're the same God. I, I think we're, we're out of time. You all had some great questions that came up here during the live. I think next week we'll probably end up talking about, about some things about grace and baptism and some of these other things you guys have brought up. So please keep those questions coming. If you have a burning question that we didn't answer that you gave us today, um, again, seek us out. We're going to try to answer a few of them via text this week, um, but some of them we may, may, may hold on to and, of course, answer next week. Okay. Let me wrap us up in prayer. We'll make a few announcements and get you guys out. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just as a group of people who are uh, striving to get to know you, Lord. We, we just ask that everything was discussed, the scripture that was read, that for those in the room that already believe, that it even just increased their foundation, made it stronger. Lord, for those who don't believe, I pray that the answers and, and scripture being read is just drawing them closer to you, that they are finding answers so they might come face to face with you, Jesus. We just pray that all of this is just growing us up into the people that you've called us to be. God, I pray that this would just stick with us as we go through this week, that we would wrestle with these things and that we would spend time with you and addressing those and looking for them in your word. God, again, we just pray that all of this is making us into people that look more and more like you every day. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.